Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic anytime. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end, where we're also going to share some exciting opportunities. And please feel free to share this with others who you know will also find it of interest. So there are many, many unique aspects of life here in Israel. And if you've been following Inspiration from Zion over the last year and a half, we've been giving you a flavor of so many different things. And it's been such a blessing that people are listening and following and commenting and and reaching out to me individually with more questions that kind of um, uh, trigger more conversations that we didn't even necessarily plan to have. And today is one that I, I, I think for everyone listening, it's going to be completely new. In addition to the many unique aspects of life here, I should say among the many unique aspects of life here, one of them that's the great equalizer is that most men and women are obliged to serve in the army from anywhere to two to three years. The army is a place where young men and women come out of their respective lives throughout high school and really get to know and interact with Israelis of other backgrounds. Jews meet Arabs and Arabs meet Jews. Religious and secular Israelis mingle for the first time on a substantial basis in many ways. Those who are comfortable financially and those who struggle financially also interact. And new immigrants and native-born Israelis also find many, many opportunities through the army. But because of religious modesty issues, in most cases, Orthodox women are exempt from doing military service. And we can talk about that if anyone has questions to please reach out. Many Orthodox women do serve in the army, but many also do what's called shirut lumi, or national service. The women who serve in this capacity are known as benot shirut. It's described as a domestic peace corps, where young women typically will work in high-end government offices, hospitals, among disadvantaged youth, education, and many, many other kinds of opportunities and ways to engage in in an almost voluntary way. All four of my daughters opted for national service, but my sons have, one has finished his military service and one will begin his military service in another two years. And all this is normal. And that's part of the fabulous mosaic of Israeli life. But Israeli has, Israel has another phenomena known as lone soldiers since its founding. Now, if you've never read the book or seen the movie, Cast a Giant Shadow, about Colonel Mickey Marcus, I'm not going to give away the story, but you need to get a copy or see the movie. Another story from the same era, Angels in the Sky, is about Israel's initial air force. All of Israel's early pilots, except for one, were foreign volunteers. And today that trend not only continues, but has expanded exponentially. There are some 9,000 what we call lone soldiers, men and women who come to Israel on their own 
or whose parents are not in Israel to support them, but still do their service here. And there are also young women who come to Israel to serve in the Benot Shirut capacity in, in a more of a civilian uh, service. Several years ago, our family adopted a lone soldier. Our, our home became his home. He became and remains part of the family. Whether he needed a home-cooked meal, his laundry done, a virtual mommy, or just to be in a family setting and be able to unplug after a hard week or several weeks in combat, he found that that in our home. When he enlisted, I told him how much more meaningful his service was in a way because he had other options, but he chose to be in Israel and serve in a combat role in the army. It was inspiring, and I think we all grew from that experience. And I share this today as a long intro to our tremendous three guests, young men and women who also picked up from their homes overseas, in this case, all all in the United States, and left their families, left where they grew up, left their communities. Sounds a little bit like Abraham being told to leave his home and come to the land that God was going to show him and come to Israel and serve in different capacities. Um, by in alphabetical order, I want to introduce Tzadok Cohen. Tzadok is, um, we're going to talk about what it means, is currently in his last year finishing a combined military religious studies uh, program called Hezder. He's been married for just over a year. And uh, he, his parents also have uh, moved to Israel following his coming here. But he still has a sister and uh, other uh, siblings, I think, in, in New York. Um, he served in a combat role in the, what's called the Kfir Brigade, Brigade. And Sadok, we're really thrilled to have you to share your experience in just a minute. Esther Jaffe is originally from Staten Island. She finished her service in 2001 and was a bakshit. Is that I pronounced that correct? Um, I got out in 2021. I was oh, born. What did I say? I missed the two there. Two, yeah, you're not that old. 2021. <laughs> I apologize. Um, in 2021, and was a naval radi- radi- radar operator. I'm really interested to hear what that's about. It, so- it sounds kind of cool, very high tech, and I'm really curious how you got into it. Um, she, we're especially grateful that this week Esther is joining us because she's finishing her exams, and just maybe this is a good study break. Um, but maybe it's also stressing her out that she's got one more thing to deal with. But we're really grateful to have you aboard, Esther. And Eliana Warshawski is from Teaneck, New Jersey. And Eliana is our lone, lone botchy root here. Uh, Esther and Tato both served in the Army. Eliana has been working in uh, the Beaker Holim Hospital here in Jerusalem in the maternity ward. And, and she and I had a conversation a week or two ago uh, just getting to know, it's really fascinating, Eliana. Um, I'm so impressed with how you got into doing what you're doing. And I'm really grateful that you're here and looking forward to sharing um, sharing a little bit about yourself. Now, I just want to open this up. Um, first of all, if there's anything that I missed that you each feel that we should introduce, I- I'd really love for you to share more. But the opening question is, you're each in your 20s. You came here from homes, comfortable homes in in the U.S., it's not a given that somebody would necessarily choose to pick up their lives and move and leave family behind to come to Israel on their own. I'd love to know uh, individually what what motivated that. Um, maybe in this case, we'll just start alphabetically since I introduced you alphabetically and then we'll kind of roll with it. Sadok, what would you, you want to tell us about what motivated you to come here? Yeah, for sure. First of all, thank you so much, Jonathan, for having me. Uh, truly an honor to be here. 
Um, but yeah, um, so my grandfather was actually from Israel. Uh, sorry, he was from Iraq, uh, moved to Ismidaliyah when he was eight years old and uh, grew up in Israel. And uh, his, through the journey of his life, he went from Canada to the U.S. And uh, he always, you know, kept uh, talking about how he always wanted to go back throughout his whole life. He always, you know, wanted to go back and he'd tell us stories of uh, things he did in the army. And uh, uh, my parents also, it didn't hurt that they were also religious Zionists. You know, uh, I did in Akiva for a couple of years, but it wasn't, it wasn't my, uh, um, I, I didn't do it for a while, but I, I always, you know, felt a connection to the land of Israel and thought that this is our home and our country. And so I always, you know, was looking to return. Awesome. That's great. And for those who don't know what B'nai Akiva is, it's a uh, religious Zionist youth movement that's uh, international in, in Israel and in the U.S. Um, Esther, how about you? We didn't get a chance to speak before, but I heard amazing things. What motivated you uh, coming here to Israel? And when did you do that? Um, so I would say slightly like Sadok, I slightly like Tzadok I did I grew up in a very very Zionistic environment both from school and from home the local Jewish community day school where I went to was incredibly incredibly Zionistic we I remember one of the first things we learned in first grade was how to sing Hatikva the national anthem and I remember they made it a must to participate in the Israeli day parade that they would hold in New York every year and I did it eight years straight from fourth to 12th grade. So it was kind of, you know, it it was kind of drilled into our heads from a very young age that, you know, there's this wonderful country where we're all technically meant to go back there at some point. Um, And I also grew up visiting here a lot because my mom has family here. So we'd visit here very often. And I'd always I'd always look forward to all of the visits. I, I I like to be here a lot. So I guess eventually when I decided to move here, it wasn't really such a big surprise. Okay. Now I want to ask you a question. You're an Orthodox woman. Mm-hmm. Um we, we when I introduced the topic and talked about Benot Shirud and that many Orthodox women here don't do military service. A lot of my I have four girls, they all did uh national service, Shirut Lemi, but many of their friends did military service. What drove you to serve in the military? I wanted to. I mean, putting aside the fact that as far as I understand it, um, as, far as, as far as I understand it, I think the service is mandatory. Sherut Lumi comes after you get an exemption on, uh, it comes after you get an exemption on the religious background and you can right. choose to do Sherut Lumi and go to university, whatever it is. Um, but one i would say one main reason that i chose to chose the army instead of shiru was because i felt it was going to be a bit more meaningful for me because i would have an active role in actually you know protecting and defending this place meaning i live here i met my husband here i have family here and it's an important thing to do that you know you're t- you're taking a part in you know making sure people are safe and the other main reason I would say was specifically because of the religious aspect, because I also heard it a lot going in that, you know, there aren't a lot of observant women in the army and the ones that do find it really, really difficult. So, you know, it's always best to try for one of the, you know, office jobs or a secretary or something in the education part or whatever it is. That was one of the main reasons that I went because I wanted to prove, I guess, partly to myself that, 
you know, it's, it's something that's definitely doable. It's not the right fit for everyone. That's of course, that's 110% true, but I wanted to prove, I guess, to myself and maybe to other people that it is something that can actually be done. It's not really impossible. Before we move to Eliana, what's interesting, and we learned it only through our son's experience because we're immigrants. <laughs> I feel new, but I'm not, it's almost uh, 18 and a half years but I still feel that we never had the experience. I didn't serve in the army. I came here too old. It's a funny story because I tried to get in and they wouldn't take me, um, which is probably a smart thing in the end. But you didn't have either of you that coaching. You didn't have the families here. You didn't even have someone like me who knew nothing about being in the army, who could talk to friends whose kids already had served in the army. You had to kind of navigate it a lot by yourself. Although Esther, I'm sensing you have something to add to that (laughs) um I would say in my case I don't think that's necessarily true because when I made Aliyah I lived on a kibbutz up north originally I went there for Ulupan and I decided to stay after as a lone soldier so I did happen to have a framework of there were tons of people we could talk to and there's always you know face different Facebook groups and things like that so I wouldn't say I was totally alone and lost, not knowing what sure, to do. Sure. And Sadok, what about you navigating, getting into, you know, it's, you, you're not, you, sometimes you're drafted into combat, but you weren't drafted. How did that work out? Um, so, yeah, I was going to explain a little bit about Hesder, the program I was, uh, I was doing. So the way Hesder works is you learn in yeshiva for two years and then you draft, <clears throat> pardon me, together as a group to the same combat unit. Um, so that was definitely very helpful. The fact that uh, my platoon, my machlaka was filled with, uh, you know, 30 people who I had known for two years. Now there were about, sorry. Uh, yeah. Machlaka was about uh, 30 people. Uh, 20 of those were two thirds were people that I knew from yeshiva. Got it. Um, and a ten, and uh, 10 of those were people um, from other yeshiva who I ended up meeting, but it was definitely extremely helpful that, you know, I had 20 people who I knew and we're friendly with and kind of, you know, we went through together. Um, it was amazing, you know, getting uh, invites for Shabbat, you know, when their parents send them food, uh, you know, they kind of, they kind of, uh, we actually drafted another five lone soldiers from my yeshiva. So they're, everybody else's parents kind of adopted us too. So mm-hmm. when they sent them food, we got food too. Um, you know, uh, one of the harder things is, you know, when you have a ceremony, right, everybody's parents are there and, you know, yours are all the way back in the States. So um, the fact that their parents would, you know, uh, you know, uh, call, you know, FaceTime our parents in and, uh, you know, they would shower us with love and all this pride say, you know, we're so proud of you for doing this. Uh, it really, it really made a difference. And that's actually one of the reasons why I drafted through Hesder is because, um, you know, I wanted to go into a place where, yeah, it, it is scary, you know, to kind of draft in alone and, you know, you don't know anybody. Um, so it was nice to have that, awesome. um, you know, kind of, uh, to have that family. Awesome. Um, Eliana, you, you are our lone, lone bat shirut here. You, you came to Israel from America and did decided to do shirut lumi or national service. Um, it was a fabulous conversation we had. How did you, how did you, when you came here, you were focusing in a very different direction academically from what you ended up becoming, uh, doing, and now you're, career path and what you want to do for the rest of your life has changed radically. Tell us about that. 
Um, so just like Sadok and Esther, I grew up going to Orthodox school, very Zionist education. Um, and I wouldn't say that Aliyah was something I expected I would have done. Last year, I went to seminary to learn um, Judaic Jewish studies for a year. And during my time here, I just um, began to connect to the land and to the people. And I all of a sudden was able to kind of imagine myself more here. And I would say the decision for me to stay was very much religious um, on one hand and more historic on the other hand, kind of go hand in hand, I guess. Um, for me, after being here for a year, it kind of all came to life. Everything I'd learned and everything that like everything I'd learned Zionistically, but also religiously had come together of, you know, like we learned to pray every day and everything we were praying for was Jerusalem and Israel and all of these ideas. And I was like, I'm here. And, you know, this is the reality. And on the other hand, the seminary I went to um, was very unique in the way that we traveled a lot. We really met um, Israelis and learned about um, cultures and in, in Israel. And I'd met um, and I've learned about a lot of different people who had made Aliyah to Israel, whose, whose journeys to make Aliyah was very hard. For example, Ethiopians, we've, we met Ethiopian Jews who really sacrificed so much to be here. Um, not only time and family, but also many of them, their lives, sure. um, leaving their plate, their towns and their hometowns and really never seeing their families, many of the families ever again, and definitely not ever going back to where they come from again. And I felt like, relatively speaking, the sacrifice that I had to make to stay here was, um, while still great, um, much less. Um, even looking way back in history to like, like you said, Abraham, like he left his family and his homeland and didn't know where he was going and didn't ever expect to go back and didn't go back. And on the other hand, me, I call my parents every day. Um, I could fly home, get to the airport in half an hour and be on the plane. Um, so I just felt that relatively speaking, the decision to come here wasn't something that was, um, had to be such a big sacrifice while there are many hard things about being here. Um, I felt like I could still go home. I could still see my family and my family could still live here, be here. And although my family did say they might never live here, like as a religious Jew, believing that like the Messiah is coming, like it's not so concerning. So I think they'll live here eventually. Ooh, I love um, God, God willing. Um, but as you said about like career path, I had been enrolled as a, as you said, I'm from New Jersey. So I was enrolled in Rutgers School of Engineering. And as I started to explore my options in Israel um, and think about college, think about maybe doing national service, which I wasn't sure about at first, um, I started discovering, you know, different career paths, different options. And I decided that I'm maybe more interested in like midwifery, which is um, more of a big thing in Israel than is in America. Midwives are the only people who really deliver babies on um, normal basis, unlike in America where it's like OBGYNs. Um, and so when I decided to do national service, the way it works is you can request where you want to go. You're not guaranteed, but you can request. And I requested to be in this labor and delivery hospital. And I decided very late on um, and I got into this hospital and I got my placement. I wanted in the delivery room, which, by the way, when we spoke, let me interrupt you. When we spoke earlier getting in it's it's like getting into a combat in a serious uh combat yeah. unit here it's you can't just go and show up and say hey i'm eliana i'm a nice person can i come and help deliver babies doesn't go that way yeah so the hospital in particular that i was in it happens to be a very warm environment um it's smaller they only have five binoche root in the entire hospital um it's very warm and so people are very inclined to do their shoot with me there so the fact that I got it was honestly a miracle um considering how many people are interested um 
And so, yeah, I'm in the delivery room and, you know, I'm not doing anything medical because I'm not licensed to do that quite yet, but I help out and thank God it's been amazing. Amazing. Um, You're all already inspiring and I feel like we could end the conversation right here, but we're going to take a quick break and then come back and I want to pick up some of the experiences that you've got. We're going to come right back. Do you have children or know somebody who does? If the answer is yes, you need to hear this. This year, in celebration of Israel's 75th anniversary, the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation has launched an incredible art contest for your children and Christian children all around the world. The contest, What Israel Means to Me, gives your children the opportunity to show why Israel is special to them through art. They can draw, paint, color, or illustrate this in any way they want. The contest will be judged according to different age groups with real prizes awarded to the winners. Please visit whatisraelmeanstome.com for details, contest rules, and how to register your child. Deadline for submission of all entries is in April, and the announcement of winners will be at a live event on May 14th. Please don't delay in registering your child, and please share this with others who will also want their children to participate. Visit whatisraelmeanstome.com and join us today. Okay, Eliana, Esther, Tzadok, this is amazing. I'm grateful and inspired. I'm grateful for you and being here, but I'm inspired by you. Um, it's not easy being an immigrant. I know it. We still, like I said, we, I still often feel like I'm a new immigrant and there are lots of frustrating experiences and lots of funny experiences. Let's talk about the funny ones. All right. What, what's the coming as an immigrant, whether it's in your Shirut Lumi position or in the army or something, what's sort of like the funny thing that you look back and laugh and want your want want a story to be able to tell your grandchildren yeah that this was what it was like uh 60 years ago um eliana you 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 we ended up with you let's start off again with you um okay so i can think of two experiences but i'll go with one that was not funny at the time but is funny (laughs) looking back um which is that the medical system in israel is just very different than it is in america um and so um, learning to navigate that has definitely been a challenge for me. And actually, it was just like a few weeks ago where I've been having a problem with my foot and I need here in order to go to any specialized doctor, you need a referral. So I didn't know how to get my referral. And I called up the insurance company and they told me, you know, you can go in person to get it. So, you know, they sent me out and they sent me where I'm supposed to go. Turns out on the other side of Jerusalem, 40 minute drive away, you know, I got on the bus, whole long journey, took landed up like two hours. I get there. Missed my appointment. Again, this is just for referral, not for the actual doctor. And I get there and I miss my appointment and I realize it's just a clinic. I could have gone to the one right by my apartment. Uh, I didn't need an appointment. And, you know, I go to my appointment the next day to this um, orthopedist. And he goes to me, you know, what's wrong with your knees? And I was like, what's wrong with my knees? Nothing's wrong with my knees. He goes, you're at a knee doctor. So... You know, that was definitely frustrating at the time, but it's going to be funny to look back at, you know, it's still a challenge to navigate the insurance and the medical system here, but, you know, it all worked out in the end and he, he knows a thing or two about feet as well. So it worked out. <laughs> Esther, how about you? Also, I mean, you, you were in a pretty intense position in the army, a lot of stuff on your face and on your shoulders. Did you have anything funny that, that you stumbled upon there? There in the army, yes, there is one thing I can think of. And I remember one 
one time when I was in the control room in the middle of a shift, there, one of the, when I was in the middle of a shift, one of the patrol boats had just gone out to do some kind of a firing drill. And they were in the center of our, um, they were in the center of our area, the one that we were responsible for keeping an eye on. And while they were actually, you know, shooting the guns that they had on the boat, we noticed on the radar that there were a pair of fishing trawlers down south coming up, like coming up north and practically directly into the line of fire of the boat. The girls in the shift, the shift manager, I guess, and her assistant, they very quickly got on the radio and started trying to get in touch with the guys on the fishing trawlers to, you know, let them know that they probably do, don't want to end up in the middle of a live fire drill because they were actually practicing uh, firing the guns. I think we could hear it almost. Um, and when they finally got in touch with the guys on the fishing trawlers, because they usually come in pairs, they practically got into a big argument about it because the guys on the fish about the areas that they fish in and they started getting very, very upset at us as if it was our fault that, you know, we were here first and this is our area and you you need to tell them to leave. And they were kind of getting closer and closer as the time kept going on and we could hear the shooting because the gun is very, okay. very large. And we kind of, they were trying to explain to them that it's a live fire drill and maybe you want to kind of like give them the space to do their thing. And eventually they moved around, but it was very, that was probably the main funny thing I could think of. Okay. Sadok, unlike watching live fire on a screen, you uh, were trained and were, I don't know if you were in combat, but you were certainly trained for it. Uh, What was that like? Uh, I don't know how your Hebrew was before you came here, but um, were there faux pas? Uh, So, yeah, there were a few. It was less about conversational Hebrew, more about uh, the nuances. Uh, I remember there's one time I was standing at a junction, you know, uh, they have soldiers all, you know, uh, protecting uh, junctions that are of uh, high risk uh, at Somet. They call them here. So I was standing at Somet, uh, you know, with my Chaylim, uh, with my soldiers. And uh, our, uh, our uh, company commander comes on the radio and tells me, you know, that uh, there's a car that, you know, has suspicious activity. And, you know, that uh, they think that there's something weird with the car. And I uh, should keep a lookout. Okay. So, you know, I say, okay, great. Um, where's it coming from? I'm asking out the details. And he says, uh, it's, uh, he says, I'll, I'll say it in Hebrew, it's a BMV Cajol. It's a blue BMV. <laughs> and I have no idea what a BMV is. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, told me, you know, my soldiers, I'm like, Hey, start slowing down the traffic. You know, we're looking for this car and it's, uh, and it's, uh, and they're like, what car is it? I'm like, no idea. So I check on the video again. I'm like, can you, you know, tell me again, what's the car? BMV, blue BMV. I'm like, you, BMV? He's like, yeah, BMV. What are you not getting about it? And then it hit me. Oh, BMW. Uh, in Hebrew, there's no, there's no W there. There's no, that, that just doesn't exist. So they call a BMW, a BMV. And, uh, thank God we, we, uh, uh, we got the guy. He was just driving really dangerously, you know, didn't find anything in his car. So we just gave him a warning and sent him on his way. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, that was definitely, that was definitely quite confusing. A, a, and a good way to have a learning experience and something that wasn't life threatening in this, in the, in the sense. Yeah, exactly. Terrorists. Wow. Okay. Um, let's let's pivot. I mean, I, I appreciate that. It kind of breaks the ice and, and makes this whole experience that you each have gone through, or or in Eliana's case, or still Sadok, you're you're still in Hezder, but not in the military, and Eliana's still serving in, in Shirut Lumi. Um 
very human, very relatable, but it's not always easy. It's not always easy because you don't know what a, what, what a car is called. Um, you don't know the culture about two fishing boats getting into a fight when they should be turning around and getting away. But that's kind of just Israel, right? And that's, that's a normal thing. And we can all kind of see that and laugh, laugh about that. Um, but it, it, you, you're still away from your families, the families in which you grew up. And, and that's hard and that's challenging under any circumstance. Um, who would like to start and share some of the things that were hardest about that being away from your family initially? Um, I can, I can start. Um, yeah. so it's, it's the small things. Um, so I, I did go to overnight camp. So, you know, I'm no stranger to, you know, being away from home. Uh, even in high school, uh, I, I, I worked at, at a day camp, but my family's from Chicago. I was working at a day camp in Boston. Um, but it was, it was just the small things. Um, I, I drafted during Corona, which was a very unique time to draft. Um, normally soldiers leave base and go home on leave. Uh, every, every other week, between every, you know, every other week, uh, once every three weeks, depends on what you're doing. Sometimes even every week. Uh, with us, we very rarely got off. And I'll never forget the first time that we got off of base. Uh, my commander puts us all in a hut formation. Well, uh, it's like a U. Yeah. So, yeah. In a, in a, uh, we're, we're all standing in the U formation. And he talks about, you know, how, uh, just so you know, when you guys leave, you're representing more than just yourselves. You know, you're representing the, the, the IDF. You're representing, uh, you know, the protectors of our land. And uh, he kept stressing how, you know, your parents are going to see you and your family's going to see you and they're going to be so proud of you. And uh, we had just had three really intense weeks. You know, it was our first three weeks in the army. We have no idea what's going on. You know, uh, um, we, we didn't really have enough time to really get settled into a rhythm. And then to just have it on top of that of like, oh, you know, yeah, we don't have parents here who can't see us with the uniform. We're, you know, going to go back to the um, bus. We're going to go back to our apartment. You know, maybe there's going to be food for us. Maybe there won't. Right. Um, it's, it's a small thing. Also food. Um, you know, thank God, like we do get a salary and, uh, we even get, um, a 200, we even get 150 shekel voucher, um, for food every month to the, to, uh, the chain of uh, supermarkets. But wait, 150 shekels. I just want for people listening, 150 shekels is like, uh, what, what's the exchange rate? $50. Now? It's like 50 around. bucks. Yeah. Not even. So, yeah, so something, something like that. So I, I will say that, you know, think I personally never lacked uh, money for food. The problem was, you know, getting back at base at, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night sometimes. Yeah. Uh, not, not necessarily everything's open. You know, you don't necessarily have the strength, you know, go to the, to go to the store, prepare something. Um, you know, maybe someone in your apartment went shopping. Maybe they didn't. Uh, it's, it's a small things. And also, you know, again, coming back from a really long week. Uh, there was one time when I was in commander's course where, uh, we were supposed to leave on a Friday. We were supposed to leave on a Friday morning. And it turned out that they, that we had, we, we had to do some sort of run, uh, like a fun run, you know, uh, go, go, uh, go to a community that was sponsoring our, our, uh, um, our, our company, um, actually the brigade for, for all of Kfir. Every, every single soldier who was in Kfir, you know, did this fun run in Afula. Um, Afula is in the, uh, it's, oh. kind of, it's, it's far. It's far from it's where the, I lived in. It's, uh, it's, it's in the, it's in the Galilee. It's north. It's yeah, a, it's, yeah. It's two and a half hour, three hour drive. Yeah. And for reference, it's yeah, from from where we live in uh, the Judean Hills. Yeah. And so the fact that I was doing that on a Friday, um, I got really annoyed because, you know, we had to do this run. I was we were only going to finish around at 10. That meant that I would get back, you know, around uh, anywhere between 12 to one, depending if the buses were coming or not. 
And then I have to do laundry. I have to, you know, get ready for Shabbat. I have to, you know, plan meals. It's, it's, it's hard. It was, it's, it's the small things that, you know, it's not just the family. It's much more than that. I, you, you just mentioned Shabbat. I'm glad you did. I'm going to, I want to put that on the, on the side because, um, a lot of our listeners who aren't Jewish know what Shabbat is, but don't know what it means to get ready for Shabbat. And I want to, and that's something that's also challenging as Orthodox men and women uh, that I want to come back to on on the side. Um, Esther, when I when I asked uh, earlier initially what what was what were some of the challenges, you looked like you wanted to pop in and and say something. Um. Challenges what like homesickness? Being away, um, not having your family, not having the support. Um, you you you're also you picked up, you left everyone behind in Staten Island. <clears throat> you hadn't yet married your husband. That socially, it was incredibly, incredibly difficult. I happened to I lived on a campus with other lone soldiers, so that was nice because. You know, you had people around you who can identify with what it means to, I don't know, I haven't seen my mom in five months. I haven't seen my sister in whatever it is, God knows how long, because, you know, with, for lack of a better word, regular Israelis who you're in the army with, it's a very, very, very foreign concept to them. It's a very foreign concept to them. Like, for example, when we'd be, when we close, when we stayed on base for Shabbat for the first time, when we had to stay there the whole time and, you know, we weren't able to be home for a lot of the Israelis with me, it was really, really difficult because for some of them, it was the first weekend away from home and they were really upset and they were really homesick that, you know, they wouldn't be seeing their families for a total of a week and a half. Um, but that was interesting. I remember one specific example would be that when I was in course, what they would, it's, one of the traditions, I guess, that they had that they would do in the course that I was in is that at some point over the course of the training, there would be these two days where would where we'd be without our phones, without our watches, without anything. And it was just basically a complete focus on getting introduced to the job itself. They'd give a lot of um they'd give a lot of presentations and a lot of talks about the importance of the job and about different terror attacks that happened, whatever it was, uh, 30, 40 years ago, because there weren't any Bakashio, just to kind of, you know, instill the importance of um, the job itself. And one of the parts of this multi-day program was that they um, they present, this maybe might have been another mishap with the Hebrew, because they didn't quite understand what was going on at first, that the the commanders they they said that they had a present for us from our families or something like that and they went around giving every girl in the course it was a course only with girls it's an all it's an all female job and they went around giving every girl in the course a letter from her parents oh, wow that, that must i guess hurt. the parents would Oof. send it into the commanders or something like that and they print it out and i didn't understand what it was at first and when they gave me mine because I, I didn't realize, I thought it was something the commanders had prepared for us to, you know, encourage us and, you know, say, like, you're doing a good job. We're proud of you. I didn't realize it was from the parents. And when they gave me my piece of paper with the letter, I opened it and I saw that it was in English. And I thought to myself, wow, that, you know, I was so impressed. They took the, the commanders who were all, they were all native Israelis. They took the time to write me this letter in English. And then I started looking at it and recognized it as stuff that, you know, my parents would write. And it was... It was a very, very, very emotional experience because I guess it was 
a course of maybe 40, 50 girls. And I was one of two lone soldiers. Wow. And it was that would I that I guess would be the biggest the, the, the biggest experience I had with that. It was very, very, very emotional. Thank you. When you were speaking, Esther, about other native Israelis not understanding the whole situation about being here alone, uh, both Eliana and Sadak were were actively nodding. Um, Eliana, what was what's your experience? What you're, you're different, right? You're not exactly in the army getting locked up for Shabbat. But uh, but what's the experience been? What was what's been challenging? So the particular thought I thought of when she said that was, you know, just like little things. I agree with that. Like it's kind of more the little things that, you know, get you when you're not with your family rather than the big things. But one time one of the midwives turned to me, she saw I was eating something. She goes, who made that for you? And I was like, me, who else would have made it for me? Like, I was like, I don't have a mom here. I don't have anyone here. I'm like, I made it myself. And, And then she's like, Oh yeah, right. Like just reminding me that like, you know, like in some ways I am maybe more of a kid and, and maybe another kid my age would walk into Sherut Lomi with their home baked food, but no, I that's <laughs> never happened. I walk in with the food I made myself that morning or the night before. So that was the particular memory that I remembered when she said that. But I would also say that it's, you know, more the small things that get you like the other, like a few weeks ago, I was shopping um for a dress for an event you know, I was trying on my dress and I couldn't zip it up myself. And I was like struggling and I didn't know if I liked it. And I wanted to ask someone and I was trying to FaceTime my mom and the connection was breaking up. And, you know, next to me was actually an American mom who had moved to Israel with her children. And she was there with her two girls and they were all trying on dresses together. And she was telling them, oh, I like this one. Oh, I like that one. And they're all talking and, you know, buying the dresses together. And I was like, wow, like, I wish my mom was here with me to like, you know, help me zip up my dress and tell me if I look good in it and give me her opinion. And it was actually nice because the mom ended up talking to me and being like helping me and giving me her opinion, which is definitely like so appreciated for me. But it was like a moment like that where I was like, it's just those mom daughter moments that you just don't have when I, I said to her, I said, you know, I live here alone. I have to do this by myself. I need to figure it out myself. Um, and so that's definitely like something that's like, you know, the little things that like really get to you yeah. um, more of like a big thing. I would say like, um, beyond my parents, you know, again, like I see my parents, thank God both of my parents have come and visited me since I officially moved here, you know, only six months ago. So I've seen them both and I'm going to go home in less than two months. You know, I still call it home, which is funny. Um, yes. I'm never I've that, noticed I still, that. <laughs> yeah, I still do call it home, which is, you know, just a funny verbal tick, I guess. Um, but, um, is that my mom's parents actually, they didn't grow up, um, orthodox my mom you know became orthodox on her own um alone without her family and part of that is they just they've never come to israel neither of my grandparents have come to israel um and i don't know if they ever will and for me like that's like a big thing that really really weighs down on me that my grandparents don't know where i live you know they think it's kind of like a war zone you know my grandfather hangs up the phone and goes you know like be safe like don't get hurt and i'm like i'm fine like it's i'm in a real place like if you would maybe when you go to Tel Aviv you think you're in New York like you know it's but they really don't understand and you know I tell him like I really want you to come and he's like I don't know if I ever will and for me that's very hard especially thinking you know um God willing I'm gonna get married and you know thinking I want to obviously get married here will my grandfather come will my grandmother come those kinds of things are are very difficult for me that's something that I really struggle with I hear that. Tadok, you're nodding about that part and not about the zipping up your dress part, I assume. Uh, yeah. Um, 
you know, the fact that your extended family is away and they can't be at your big events. Uh, I was personally affected by that. Um, between uh, <laughs> Corona really affected me and my uh, friends personally a lot uh, with that. Um, I'll just start with, uh, first of all, the, Isra- the difference between Israelis and Americans, and I'll just say something about uh, family being overseas. The fact that uh, um, when we had our swearing-in ceremony, which is one of, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big ceremony. You it's get, unbelievable, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's really powerful. And uh, uh, Kfir usually has their uh, swearing-in ceremony at the Kotel, at the Western Wall. Um, but because of Corona, because of everything going outside, we had it inside our base. It was closed. So to me, personally, I was kind of like, oh, well, you know, kind of stinks that instead of, you know, at the Western Wall, we're in, uh, you know, this like kind of little field um, with these kind of, you know, rinky-dink uh, um, divisions set up between, you know, all the all the companies and everything like, Okay, you know, Tov, Beseder, it's all good. Like, yalla. Um, but for the Israelis, it was really hard for them that their parents uh, couldn't come. It was like, it was almost like, you know, really crushing. That's fascinating. I, That's fascinating because they were feeling something that un- is an underpinning element of what you feel all the time. Yeah. So it was kind of weird to be in that, you know, driver's seat. Sorry, to be in the, <laughs> exactly. No, to be, it's to be in the driver's seat, right? No, but to be on the other side that, like, yeah, of course my parents aren't going to come. Like, whatever, you know, they'll come if they come, they don't come if they don't come. It's hard, but like, you know, it's kind of uh, the fact that it's a, it's a reality kind of makes it a little better, but for them, they were um, really, really like, that was really hard for them. Uh, and then I'll go to, um, you know, the fact that our grandparents and, you know, the extended family is away. So the week that uh, I got married was, w- there was one week in all of December that they shut down the borders, uh, the, uh, the Israel shut its borders to people from America. And that was the week of my wedding. And uh, that was really hard. The fact that my grandparents weren't able to come, my wife's grandparents weren't able to come. And we had a lot of extended family and friends um, uh, who weren't able to come. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a reality you live with that. Um, I think that was, that was definitely the hardest thing for me that I didn't think about before Aliyah was the fact that, you know, I might be here and life still goes on in the States. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. I want to take another break. And then I, we talked earlier um, about Shabbat. I want to come back and talk about that because that's, in a sense, sort of the, the cornerstone of being an Orthodox Jew. And you all grew up that way. And I want to um, talk about your experiences here. But let's take another quick break. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed, keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill. They are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. Okay, so I learned, I, I learned through my son what what being in the army is like 
on Shabbat. It's not, you know, you don't have a nice dinner Friday night and then go to bed and, and, and wake up in the morning and go to services and, and then come home and have a nice lunch and take a nap on the couch. And it's not like that. And, and there's no, it's no built in time for studying Torah necessarily. Um, the army you're on, right? And I don't know, Eliana, maybe you'll tell me your experience in terms of Shirat Lumi as well. Um, but Esther Tzadok first relating to army, what was that? What was it like? You know, that for well, but not only being in the army, but I also want people to understand Tzadok when you were talking about being in a fula that Friday, what it means to be getting ready for Shabbat. How because people don't under, don't understand that when the sun goes down, whether it's 4.20 in the afternoon in the in the winter or 8.20 in the evening in the summer, sun, sundown, sun, it goes down, the sun goes down and, and you're offline and you need to be ready. And whether that's food and laundry, and if you're here on your own, that's going to be more challenging. Esther, do you want to jump in? Mm, yeah. So when I was on the kibbutz, it was much easier. First of all, I never... Um, I wouldn't go home every single week. I would, it was set up, oh, it was set up in a way that it would kind of alternate because, you know, there were two groups of girls, one being on base and one would be at home and then we'd switch each other out. And between all of that, what would happen is that, you know, we'd, one Shabbat, I would be on base and the next one I would be at home and kind of like on and off like that. The weeks where I was home, it was relatively simple because, it was one of the advantages of living on a kibbutz with other lone soldiers, meaning we had our own free laundry machines on our campus that, you know, were specifically reserved for the soldiers on Friday and Saturday night for soldiers coming home from base to do their laundry. And we would all have, we would either have the meals together on Friday night or Saturday morning, or, you know, we would go to the host families that we were set up with. So what the, Shabbat, the Shabbatot that I would be home, it was, it was relatively simple. On base, it would be tricky because my job worked in shifts. So, you know, life wouldn't stop just because it was Shabbat. We would still, the shifts would still go on the same exact way they did earlier. But um, on Shabbat, we didn't have any of our, you know, regularly scheduled programming. We, you know, we wouldn't meet up. We we, we wouldn't have uh, like cleaning and chores in the middle of the day. And like we wouldn't have meetings or whatever it was. So the only difference on Shabbat was that depending on where your shift was, you would just have a lot more free time to relax. Got it. Sadok, how about you? Being in combat <laughs> is a very different situation on Shabbat and getting ready um for shabbat when you're out for those brief hours yeah so i'm an i'm an orthodox jew that means as you said you know one shabbat hits no phones you know completely offline um no cooking everything no laundry everything has to be ready before shabbat so when i would leave for shabbat at these late times you know getting home uh thank god i lived so i lived in uh, my my uh hezder yeshiva so they have dorms for uh, lone soldiers and they have a free laundry room however that you know it takes time like stuff has to get done so, uh, and, you know, you have to do laundry. Uh, I'd want to clean my room a little, uh, get dressed and then also, uh, um, you know, find meals for Shabbat or, you know, uh, get that whole, that whole thing out. Um, I think, uh, now on Shabbat itself, as Esther was saying, the army doesn't stop the army, you know, it, it does what it does. So as someone who's never used their phone, never been on a car, uh, it was kind of weird that once Shabbat started, um, you know, if I had a night patrol, I had a night patrol, you know, I was, I was in a car, I was, uh, 
um, I'll never forget. Uh, so we were we were in a patrol of this uh, religious yeshuv, this religious uh, settlement uh, in the Northwest Bank, just south of Nablus called uh, Yitzar. And we were on a patrol on uh, Rosh Hashanah, right? You know, mm-hmm. one of the high holidays, one of the holiest days of the year at night. So thank God our, our patrol, uh, we were going around the settlement and we stopped by the synagogue uh, so we could, you know, pray for a little bit. We could pray for a little bit in the synagogue, have some feeling of, uh, um, you know, the holiday. And I'll never forget uh, my phone in the middle of the Amidah, one of the, you know, the holiest prayers on the holiest day starts ringing. When people are supposed to be offline and no one has their phones unless they're um, pa- uh, paramedics or doctors or, or something. Yeah. yeah, or yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, only emergency personnel, which happens to be that I was. So there's a weird experience, you know, running out of, uh, um, of uh, you know, synagogue during the Amidah on one of the holiest days of the year to answer Amazing. my phone. Amazing. Um, and then, you know, telling my friends, Hey, we have to get in a car. And, uh, yep. it, it, it was definitely a very, very unique experience. Yeah. My son used to, of course he, he was able to come home here and a lot of your experiences in the pandemic and him being locked down, us not seeing him, that, that was, that was the norm because that's all we knew, but, but he would be on patrol on Shabbat often in religious communities and the neighbor, the lo- the locals would stop them. And give them food for Shabbat and give them and invite them to come in and tell them to take a break. We, you experience that. How about you, Eliana? I mean, there's a concept in Judaism uh, called pikuach nefesh, that that we can violate all the rules of Shabbat in order to save a life. And you're not delivering babies yet, but you're working in the capacity that's facilitating. Have you, what's been, what's your experience? And how about your own personal life getting ready for Shabbat? Um, so for me, because the actual work I do, you know, I mean, if I wasn't there, maybe if they didn't have the equipment, it would be life saving. But usually what I do is I work from Sunday to Thursday, meaning on Thursday, like it's my job to make sure everything that, that is going to be needed on Shabbat is ready. Um, but I don't work on Shabbat. So my experience is definitely um, different because I'm not working on Shabbat. But what I'd say for me, like my struggles with Shabbat is that, you know, I'm housed in apartments that the government gives me and they're definitely you know not luxurious um and so for me I definitely like I don't enjoy being in the apartment um on Shabbat just because it's you know very you know not so nice a little icky um and so for me like I definitely like rather go to families or to people that can host me um for Shabbat because it's a much more of like a warm feeling food I don't have a complete kitchen I don't have an oven my stove works half the time you know things like that so definitely for me like I try to get out not usually I've been in my apartment maybe six months three weekends so far um so you know for me it's like every week is you know trying to oh can I come to your house um can you host me um and thank god I've been able to find people to host me but I'd say like that's where my thing comes in where, you know, I'm used to having this family meal where it's relaxing and it's rejuvenating and whatever. And then, but, you know, if I'm here, it doesn't really feel like that. I'm not in a community that I recognize, you know, I was placed in a random community in Jerusalem where they're all Israeli. I don't know them. So it definitely lacks that, you know, familiar feeling. Well, we're no longer strangers, but you're, you have a standing invitation uh, to come to a frat um, but when you're speaking about your your oven that works half the time, um, I like at least how you refer to it in the positive half full uh, perspective as compared to it doesn't work half the time. But you don't have your parents here 
like my daughter and in, in Ariel University, who called a little bit before Shabbat a few weeks ago after all the electricity went off in her caravan where she lives, and said she said, "Okay, Abba, what do I do?" And, and if and if you're dealing with it, you're dealing with it on your own. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely an added an added uh, complication. I appreciate how you shared that. Um, now, the the glue that holds all of us together, other than the three of you being um, young and inspiring and idealistic and 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 really, uh, I'm so privileged to be able to host you today in this conversation. Is we were introduced through the Michael Levin Base. Um, which is a, a, a center that um, is named in memory of a soldier who lost his life here during the um, Lebanon War, 2006, I think, right? And and um, Michael's dream was to set up a facility for lone soldiers specifically, so that there wouldn't be the kind of issues that that he dealt with. And we were all three, the three of you were connected to me through there. That's the glue that holds the three of you together because you've each at one point or another passed through the base in, in memory of Michael Levin, who was an American immigrant lone soldier. Um, I don't remember what unit he was in, but he died in combat. Paratroopers, um, I think. Paratroopers, yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, and, and we're going to talk about Michael a little bit more in a very intimate way as we conclude the conversation. But tell us you know, okay, the three of you on your own before you were married, young, single, and you've got this place in Jerusalem that's there to serve you. Tell us about that. Uh, who, who would like to jump in? Um, I'll go, I guess. Go, please. So I found out about the base actually towards the very end of my service. So it was actually a bummer once I realized, you know, how helpful they could be, you know, what with just, you know, ha- having somewhere to sit down and chill for a bit, or, you know, they have different advisors set up for different things. Once I realized how much I'd actually missed out on because I had been in Jerusalem for some time, it was a bit of a bummer. But when I started going to their events, especially after I got out of the arm and my husband also, we both realized relatively quickly that for all intents and purposes, it's a community there. At the base, meaning regardless wh- whether or not the people coming in and out are in the army or in Sherut or before or after, or even university or I don't know, even just thinking about making Aliyah, it's something that brings everyone together because for the most part, almost everyone there is almost everyone is there in some kind of loan capacity, whatever that is. And I remember sitting at one of their Shabbat dinners that they organized the base and one of the first ones that I went to. And a lot of people, there was a relatively big turnout for that one. And I remember sitting at the table and just looking around and really feeling like I was a part of a community because I think we, I, I think maybe we mentioned this earlier, I'm not sure how, you know, it's something that you can really identify with, you know, with other people that, you know, when if, for example, you're hit by a bout of homeless sickness, it's something people there understand what it means that, you know, I haven't seen my mom for six months, then, you know, on base, it's something completely different. So you, there are definitely people there who identify with you. Amazing. Um, oh, you, you triggered a thought, but I forgot it. But Eliana, you're actively nodding. What What do you want to add to that? Um, so I would say like the base, like one of the most like amazing things to do is really provide people like 
an amazing community. I'd say for me, thank God, you know, I, as I said, I went to seminary last year and um, because of the hours that I work as like, cause I'm not in the army, I get off at three in the afternoon and I could still go back. And, you know, a lot of the administrators in my seminary, my seminary, you know, act in some way as my family. And I would say for me, like, that's like the core of, you know, my support system, but I would say for the base, like, unlike I sort of provided me with a, a different support, which was more like, for me, I really, really struggled with bureaucracy. It just, uh, it killed me. I couldn't do it. Um, and the base, like she said, I have advisors. So a lot of the times I would go to the base to, you know, meet with people that would help me figure out how to open up a bank account or how to get this or that. And it's very hard to navigate, especially, you know, learning the language. Right. These and, are not simple things here. And the banks no. open very limited hours and, yeah, yeah, it's really bureaucratic. And even if it's so, not bureaucratic, it's all new. Yeah. So, you know, like I showed up to the bank three times and, you know, the third time I say to them, I said, I just said to them, and, you know, the Hebrew that I knew, I'm here alone. I'm serving this country alone. You know, please just do me a favor and help me open a bank account. Like those feelings of just so feeling so like hopeless, like I'm not going to be able to do this when these things are important. And, you know, you need the bank account to serve. You can't serve without a bank account because they need to send you your stipend. They need to, you know, so for the for me the base really helped me um advise me helping me get through those challenges amazing thank you Tato. how about you um so yeah uh also uh similar to what uh, eliana said is the fact that you know you're 18 19 whatever and now you have to set up a bank account you know uh work out health insurance thing i things i never thought that i'd have to deal with until i was out of college you know because my parents took care of all that stuff um, although I will say my my main um, interaction with the base was actually after uh, my service. I think one of the most important things that they have that I don't think gets talked about nearly enough is the fact that they have a psychiatrist on staff. Um, without getting into too much detail, um, I was, uh, um, the army's very intense and combat's uh, also very intense. And I was uh, with my wife, we were at the Jersey Shore um, by Seaside, if anybody uh, knows the area. And there's this ride where uh, you're in a room and they kind of spin you around and there's flashing lights and going on. And like, uh, I, I really, you know, I, I had a flashback. Uh, again, I really don't want to delve into the details so much, but um, I had a conversation with my wife and uh, um, I, you know, and we talked about it and I was like, you know, I, I really need to see someone and uh, I really should. And um as Eliana was saying that, you know, the Israeli healthcare system is very different than the American healthcare system. Also, I, I, I wouldn't even know the American healthcare system. Again, you know, I'm still, you know, kind of figuring it out because um, the army healthcare system is very different. Um, there you talk to your commander and your commander passes it on. There's no real. So now, you know, to find a psychiatrist and to go through that whole thing of getting a recommendation and this, the fact that I was able to, you know, text uh, the base, uh, text uh, someone at the, who was working at the base and get, connected to their psychiatrist and be able to meet with him uh, was really, you know, a life changer and took a huge load off my back and uh, was insanely helpful for me and my life and my life and everything. Thank you for sharing that. That's very, uh, very personal on a different level. And um, it's good to know. Um, Sadok and Esther and Eliana, I, I honestly, there were so many more things I wanted to talk with you about today and maybe we'll come back. Uh, I'd be, I'd be real interested to to hear from from listeners what questions they have but i had uh, and i I'd like to have you back but i again i want to thank you we're going to wrap up i'm going to take a break and then wrap up the conversation in a way that i've never done before on this on this show um 
But I want to thank you again for being here, for having the conversation, for your commitment, for being the inspiring people that you are. And uh, I, I suppose being your parents' age, um, I can say as someone who's local, I'm real proud of you and I'm real grateful. And um, yeah, I, I, I look forward to continuing to hear good things. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're going to take a break and then come right back. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill. They are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. Okay, so now I want to I want to do something that I've never done before, and I'm actually real emotional just thinking about it. Um, I want to bring in um, Harriet and Mark Levin, Michael Levin's parents. Um, you've just heard about from from the th- experiences of of three young men and women who have been, if you will, the beneficiary of Michael's legacy. But I want to speak um, with Michael's parents on a personal level um, to get to a little bit to know about him and who he was and 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 why why these young men and women and so many others are are the continued beneficiary of his legacy. Harriet and Mark, thank you really so much for for joining uh for joining inspiration from Zion. Um let me just start out when you hear stories of young men and women who who spend their weekends and Shabbat and get their help through the base which is all in Michael's name. How does that make you feel? Uh for me absolutely wonderful. Um this was Michael's dream. Um and it it's bigger than he could have ever dreamed that it wow. would be. And for me, I think it, it, it makes dealing with his passing much easier. When Michael was in uniform, just to give you some background, um, he went up to a dear friend of his who worked for the Jewish agency and said, when I finish my service in a year, he says, we are going to start a lone soldier center. And Michael laid the whole thing out for him because he had been in uniform for over a year. And we spoke to him uh, every uh, Friday before Shabbat. And he would always tell us about problems he was having. Nothing monumental, just, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. Things that he things that he he is having problems with. And after a year, Michael, in his mind, connected the dots and said what this country needs 
is is, is a lone soldier organization started by lone soldiers, run by lone soldiers, helping lone soldiers. There were a number of individuals in Israel uh, running around the country doing what they could to help lone soldiers, but there was no national organization. So the idea, um, it came from Michael. Michael wow. was a, uh, he was a visionary. I, well, you know what? Just as you're speaking, that's exactly the word that comes up, visionary. And I want to I wanna dig deeper on that, but um, I knew that it was his vision, but honestly, I had forgotten. So I'm glad that you shared that. Um, he had to have been a visionary, not just coming, not just coming up with the idea, which you've had the, I don't know, privileges, you've had the privilege to, to fulfill what one of his dreams, um, albeit it would be much nicer to have him here as the executive director of it. But, but let's talk about Michael as a person more and what motivated him to come to Israel. That's visionary in and of itself. I think a great deal of it started talking to my dad. Both of my parents are Holocaust survivors. My father was in Auschwitz for 26, 26 months. Wow. And um, Michael was very close to him. And I think at an early age, Michael realized how important it was to have a homeland. And he was probably nine or 10 when he started talking about going to Israel. And then he went in high school. He did uh, Alexander Musk High School for Israel. Sure. Now, then it was USY. And his teacher, Yossi Katz, was from Philadelphia, who had made Aliyah, who made history come alive. Michael came off the plane with a kippah and tzitzit. And we said, okay, we know this is it. Yossi showed him that, you know, you can do this. And Camp Ramah influenced him. Um, Michael was also a passionate Zionist. He was he from a young age, a very young age. He believed that the history of world Jewry was going to be played out in Israel, not the United States. And he desperately wanted to be a part of it. He had aspirations of becoming a career officer in the IDF because he couldn't think of anything more important to do with his life than defend the nation of Israel. He always used to say to me, I want to make a difference to Jews. And um, he certainly didn't do it in living, but he's bigger than life in passing. He did do it in living, but and, and it's because of what he did that his death was um, honored. So I mean, the, the, the way Israel came together Yes. Uh, now, now we we do that when soldiers die. That's no, that's not unusual. But his funeral had thousands of people, correct? Yes. And when I came for the first Yom Hazikaron, I came without Mark, and I was gathered by strangers and and thousands of people coming to the grave. And I called Mark in the states, and he said, "It's not going to last. It's the first year. Don't get used to it." Yeah. Well, it was just 16 years, and it is exactly the same, if not same. Bigger. Wow, I didn't know we're that. There every year for, for the, Yom for their Memorial Day, Yom Zikaron, and we're at his kever, his grave, for three, four hours, and we're inundated with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that wait all year to to see us. Yeah, we're, we're there once a year. 
for four hours. They come from all over the country to see us, to tell us about uh, their story and how Michael impacted their life. I, I, I see Michael's face. I, I hear, you know, he, he, he made a big impression just being here. And one of the places that that it always touches me when and and it's near where the base is located on the other side of the shuk the machane yehuda is marzipan the famous bakery right. and itzik right. who's the owner is a friend of mine and the his picture is there has been there for for years and michael made such an impression i've never spoken with itzik about it but he made such an impression that the owner of the bakery has his picture there, and there's a it's a memorial, a living memorial to him. Yeah, and the candy store does next door to him, which we I never not noticed. We, we were just told about it. Yeah, but there's a reason yeah. why. Michael was on the Natif program, and it was the Intifada. They were not allowed at the shop, but <laughs> <laughs> that did not stop our son. And he used to go, and he used to help us, and he used to take marzipan back. To Nativ and sell it and bring his type of money. <laughs> and he, he befriended him and he would help him work on Fridays. Amazing. So that's why Michael's picture's there. Got it. Thank you for sharing. I'll look for it next time on it because I like going to that both of those places. Um, There's also the term about Chayel uh, Bodet, a lone soldier. A lone soldier is someone that comes to Israel and has no immediate family in Israel. Right. They, are, they are alone. And there's, at last count, there's just about 9,000 lone soldiers serving in the IDF. Yeah. And, um, and the organizations that we helped create in Israel now services over three or 4,000 of those lone soldiers. Amazing. So they've helped a lot of people before, during, and after their service. Sure. And we have an organization in the United States called the Michael Levin Lone Soldier Foundation. Good. That we raise money to fulfill grant requests from these organizations and we help to financially support them. Now, before we started speaking, you shared with me, uh, we were talking about the conversation, who this goes to, who our listeners are. And you asked, do I know? Um it's not a coincidence, of course, that this is a podcast that is mostly following among Christians. And you shared something with me that's uh, not more than a coincidence and quite extraordinary. You want to share that? Who's your biggest supporter? Uh, Friends of Israel. Uh, The director, the past director, lives around the corner from us, Bill Sutter. Um, And Michael and he struck up a wonderful friendship. And Bill would take uh, two groups a year to Israel, and Michael would always meet them and speak to them, sometimes on a bus between, you know, one stop and another, and tell them about being a lone soldier and about life in Israel. Um, in fact, when Michael fell, Bill and Annette flew to Israel to be at his funeral. Wow, I didn't know that. Yes. So we want to give a shout out to Bill Sutter, to Jim Showers. And all the great people that work for that organization, uh, they're they're true, they're lovers of Israel. Yes, they, they have been, they've been tremendously supportive of Mark and I. And we appreciate everything they've done. And oh, they're amazing people. I, I've had the, the the personal friends of mine, so that's why I said this is not a coincidence. 
um, or more than a coincidence. They're extraordinary people, and everyone who supports what they do is um, is also noteworthy. So uh, we'll get make sure that they get a copy of this and can at least have what we say in Yiddish, Nachis, uh, mm-hmm. pride in, uh, in, in our acknowledging them, but also another way of the building bridges between Jews and Christians and Christian support for Israel and how that's manifested here. Um, let me let me ask you a question. When Michael, obviously you were proud of him, but when he came home, he came up with an airplane, you knew he was bitten by the Zionist bug, he was coming here. But when he when he actually was getting on a plane to come here, you knew he was going to be enlisting in the army and not enlisting in a desk job. How did it make you feel? Uh, we had different feelings. Um, my first trip to Israel was on our honeymoon in 1973. And I absolutely fell in love with the country. And I was prepared to stay at that point. So I always said to Michael, he was my ticket out. I didn't mean it in this fashion. Of course. Um, And I always wanted to do more for Israel than just write a check or go and volunteer and pick oranges. Um, Michael was doing something that I never had the privilege of doing. So I was behind him 100%. And Mark, were you different? It's a long story. (laughs) Condense it. (laughs) Um, My dad was a uh, combat veteran of the Second World War. Uh Three and a half years in the South Pacific. And went through the worst of the worst. My father-in-law, as Harry said, spent over two years in Auschwitz. I was very... Very close to both of them. And even though I never served in the military, I had a pretty good idea of what war was like. And I was concerned. I did not want my son to be in a situation where it was kill or be killed. And I didn't want him to go. But um, I still remember the conversation today, the final conversation. And he said to me, uh, he said, Dad, you don't want me to go, do you? I said, no, I don't. I said, but. I said, I lived my life. I've made my decisions. This isn't about me. This is about you and your life and your hopes, your dreams. And even though I'm concerned, I said, if you decide to go, you will have my total and my complete support. And he thanked me. And <clears throat> he did from that day on. There was never an, another word spoken about my concerns. He had my support. But yeah, I was I was concerned. <laughs> you would look, unfortunately, legitimately. I've had one son in the army and also in combat. And uh, you never know. When we And, and, and when you mentioned, by the way, the 3,000 out of 9,000, some of the others adopt families like or are adopted by families like mine and we've had lone soldiers who make their home in our home so so that's another another place that people get the the, the support that they need um but we had a tremendous amount of of pride in our son and what he was doing yeah he really did what he was yeah there's no reason no reason not to yeah. um I, it's an awkward question to ask, but I'm gonna, you said, you said, uh, I, I, clearly it's emotional still. I mean, there's no, it never, sure. it, it never won't be, but knowing what you know now, 
would you have laid down and blocked the way and prevented him from coming? I get asked that when I speak. And, you know, of course, the mother wants to say no. You know, I miss Michael all the time, especially even at Simcha's, it's never 100% because there's something missing. Of course. But I'm no, why should I be any different than an Israeli mom who doesn't have the choice? Um, Israel to me is, is right after my kids, the most important thing in my life um, to have it because of what my parents went through. Sure. And I don't think that I should have had the decision to say, well, you don't have to be Jewish, but not that Jewish. Let somebody else defend Israel. Um, no, I wouldn't have. I there, I wouldn't have stopped him at all. Mark, would you? Have or could the, we could have? If you could have, he was very determined. But Mark, would you have let the air out of the tires or 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 tied him down? I'll answer the question in this way. I don't look back. I look forward. Okay. Harry and I do everything we can <clears throat> to fulfill. Michael's dream to protect his name and his legacy. And that's what our mission is. I think also, Jonathan, for me, in Yiddish, they say basher, you know, things are meant to be. And I believe this was Michael's destiny that he always said he wanted to make a difference. And boy, did he make a difference. He put the, the term lone soldier on the map. He did. People didn't know what that meant. Prominent rabbis told us they had no idea what that meant. Yep. Well, I, as a parent of six, um, one who's yet to do the army, um, I, I would say that your your everything you're saying as parents is admirable. And I would venture to say that if Michael were here having the conversation, he would say that he's really proud of you too. Thank you. Thank you. That that means a lot. Yeah. Um, it, it may be a little hubris for me to say that, but but now I'm connecting the dots. Um, this this week is Michael's birthday. Yes. How how old would he have been? Thirty nine. Thirty nine. Um, if he were coming home to celebrate his birthday, what would you make him? What was his favorite food? Banana cake Banana with chocolate cake. icing. But I have to correct you. He would say he is home in Israel. Here uh, he was coming for a visit. To his to his home where he grew up. Right. <laughs> but but yes. good correction. That's a very yes. important correction. Thank you for doing that. Um, so everyone, everyone who is listening, whether it's this week, the actual week of Michael's 39th birthday, or um or at some other point, um, have a banana, have a banana muffin, a banana cake. <laughs> and when you do so, think about the heroism, the vision, the heroism that he that he um, embodied that he lived and and gave his life for um, and now as a result so many other young men and women who who put their lives on the line um, are, are are getting levels of support that he dreamt about but he never but, and he wanted to see happening so I, I like to connect the dots um, last thing the base it's been in existence here for a while it's a its own icon and and um uh this week or next week i think moving to its a new location a bigger location um 
what what's so special about that you've been there you've seen you've met the people in person what's so special tell us um the passion that they have for for their work it isn't just a job for these people the volunteers the employees even the lone soldiers who have made aliyah finish their service in the idf and are coming back and volunteering to help other lone soldiers it's a it's a community that was built beautiful and it was built uh it was built a long time ago like i said there are multiple organizations and facilities now that exist in israel that never existed before actually their ribbon cutting is tomorrow february 17th on michael's birthday and they didn't even realize they were doing it then Amazing. Yeah. I, 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 I knew the date was significant. I, that's amazing. That's again, for lack of coincidences. Um, there are Harriet no Mark, coincidences. Right. Um, Harry and Mark, I, I love to have a additional conversation. I think there's a lot more that we can do, but I'm really grateful for you sharing and, and joining us today and helping to wrap up this conversation. Anytime, Jonathan. Great. And we hope to meet you when we're in Israel. Well, I will look forward to that. Let me just wrap up as we do with all all of the uh, inspiration from Zion episodes. Um, I, I've joked for a year now, if you've stayed with us this long, you deserve a reward. Well, in addition to the reward of the of the program itself, um, beginning last year, we uh, we began offering a special gift every month. We gave away a special volume. We call it From Jonathan's Bookshelf. All we ask is that you do go to the Inspiration from Zion social media and like and follow us. And when you comment and share the link to this program, we will select one person at random to receive an amazing volume that you're going to want for your library. We're always grateful to our sponsors, our friends, first of all, at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're ever in the area, pop in and say thank you and uh, for helping make conversations like this possible. And also thanks to the Coin family for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges and where we can to continue to support our soldiers here in Israel as we've done. Um, Even if someone offered to pay lots of money to sponsor this episode, I would reject it. This episode is sponsored in memory of Michael Levin, in 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 honor of his vision, and Harriet and Mark in in honor of everything that you've helped to do to continue that vision and and the soldiers who were were able to bless. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd always love to hear your comments as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any questions as well, especially questions you have about traditional Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this program with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right, right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean Mountains. God bless you. Hallelujah.